Petersfield's Shine Radio. You are listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde and you're listening to Talking Books, where I perform CPR on a lifeless backlisted book and bring it back to vigorous life. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, your guide to what's new this month. Later in this edition, we'll be talking to author Catherine Evans. And so that I won't embarrass her, I'll tell you that she's not only a prize-winning author of young adult fiction, but the most generous person. She's encouraging to fellow authors and an inspiration to anyone thinking of starting to write. I'm really looking forward to hearing Catherine. I don't read as much young adult fiction as I should. So what do you think about should, Tim? Why, why do you think you should read more? It's my job. <laughs> I've got to read... <laughs> got to read everything. I've got to read uh, children's books as well as adult books. So yes, I, I, I feel that uh, it's an important part, of, important part of what I do. Well, there you go. I can only agree. Now, in this next bit of the programme, we always talk about what we're currently reading. But this month, I'm going to talk audiobooks. Um, I know I talked to John Wellsman, who those of you at home will know that John is totally blind and so he listens to audiobooks the whole time so he's something of an expert. I've come to it recently because of recording my own and I read a review of The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. This review was actually about the audiobook and it said that Tom Hanks was absolutely phenomenal as a narrator so I thought well this is the way to do it I think a mutual friend of ours, Tim, in fact, has raved about the Dutch house as well. So I thought this is a good thing to do. So have you have you heard that? Do you listen to audiobooks or? I don't tend to actually because I mainly because I actually prefer to read them. I, I think one of the things I think about audiobooks, I think they are some of them are absolutely brilliant, but they do change the way you see characters. It's not. I'm not sure I really do it that much. I mean, having said that, it's nothing better on a long, long car journey if we were going on long car journeys these days. <laughs> Um, um, And there are some brilliant readers, like someone like Martin Jarvis, who can really bring a book to life. I would say, yeah, I think, you know, perhaps I ought to do more. Well, you know, exactly. I had all your reservations about it. Um, But I love it when somebody does it better than I can do it myself, like if there are foreign names or something. And I've got this particularity that I hate not knowing how to pronounce things properly. Um, Or with Tom Hanks, uh, he does, does this so well because he narrates it properly. So somebody like Martin Jarvis is more a sort of bravura actor. He can put on loads of different voices and so on. And Tom Hanks is very much reading you a story and is a trusted voice and i love that well it's it's also it's, it's did you enjoy the book i think it's it's a it's a great book i have to say well you see that's the thing if i had started the dutch house myself i can see that it's written by a really consummate writer but it's not the sort of beginning that i personally like because it's very character heavy and rambling right at the start so you you go back through years within about three pages it's what's going on here who's this who's related to who 
Um, but because it's being narrated to me, I can't skip. I can't throw it aside and say, no, I'm bored now. I have to keep pace with the narrator. And gradually, of course, it works its magic. So very, very quickly, I mean, well before the end of chapter one, I'm completely hooked and it is consummate. It's wonderful. I do recommend it to you. If you haven't read it, I am recommending the audiobook, actually. I think Tom Hanks is wonderful. There you go. So ha- what about you? What are you up? What are you reading at the moment? Um, I've been I've been reading an interesting book by someone called Kylie Reed called Such a Fun Age, which is one of those real kind of zeitgeisty type books. Um, it's about a wealthy New Yorker and her young black nanny, and um, they get themselves into into a serious pickle. And um, I have to get out of it. I won't tell you what it is. It spoils the story. Ooh. But um, it's that that's uh, good fun and and quite interesting. Um, and I'm also reading a book called To Calais in Ordinary Time by James Meek, which is a very strange beast. It's set in um, just before the onset of the Black Death in uh, Gloucestershire, and they're on the way. To, they're on their way to Calais. And um, the sound of that. Haven't it, heard it, of it. It's it's written in a sort of peculiar style, which is it's a sort of cod 14th century English. Um, which is which is quite weird, and and but actually it's a lot more fun than it sounds. Um, it's quite bawdy. It's entertaining and um, and and good. I also I've been reading um, as it was Holocaust Memorial Day on um, a couple of days ago on the twenty seventh. A book called a little a very short little fable called The Most Precious of Cargoes by a Frenchman Jean Claude Greenberg. It's it's you read it in one go. It's very it's very it's a very um, thin book, but I. Uh, that was really well done, really well done. I might suggest that for our book club, actually, because we like to read very thin things that we can get through in a month. So that might be you perfect. You get through this in about an hour. OK, so. <laughs> better, better still. That's excellent. So my two, very quickly, so having done the audiobook, I'll just say that having mentioned the book group, that we've just read Expectation by Anna Hope that is hugely hyped. Um, as a massive read, so that and was it and was it up to the hype? Did it live up to the hype? Well, I would say it's very marmitey that um, some of us really didn't get on with it at all, and I and I'm one of that number, and I suspect it's the more you relate to these women's experiences, the more bored you are, really, and just think, yeah, yeah, yeah I know all this, and it was like a checklist of things to tick. However, if you were a younger age group. Um, you might find it absolutely fascinating. But the other one which I'm really enjoying is Hot Milk by Deborah Levy. I know I'm quite late to the party. Yes, it's, it, it, was, um, it was shortlisted for the booker a couple of years ago, I think, wasn't it? I think it was, um, long, I think it was 2016. Oh, gosh, that, that long ago. Yeah, right, I know, sorry. I know. But it's, <laughs> it's not going to be one of my book listed. Anyway, let's, let's now move to our interview with Catherine Evans. Made by the people of Petersfield. This is Shine Radio. So section three is always our interview and we're really fortunate this month because we've got one of my best author friends, Catherine Evans, on. Let me sort of make her ears burn. So Catherine Evans, I've taken this from your Amazon author page. Catherine has been an actor, a waitress, a celery cutter and a newspaper deliverer. She's even scrubbed the decks of the Mary Rose. Now she combines being an author with being a mum, running a farm, volunteering as co-regional advisor for Scooby and fencing competitively. 
Her debut, More of Me, won the Edinburgh International Book Festival First Book Award, the first young adult novel ever to do so. It also won the 2017 Scooby Crystal Kite Award, which is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, Crystal Kite Award for Great Britain and Ireland. Beauty Sleep is her latest novel, which was shortlisted for the Steam Prize and won the 2020 Crime Fest Award for a young adult novel. Kathy, I can't believe it. What do you do in your spare time? I can't believe it either. I mean, what spare time? Actually, I have quite a lot of spare time now because there is no fencing uh, during pandemics, apparently. You can't do that. So, How have you coped with lockdown? Because you are such a gregarious person. I have hated it. I've hated it. I, I can't bear it. I'm, I'm, I like to pretty that up, but it's miserable. For the first six months I couldn't write I could barely think I had lots of energy for projects um outside of writing but even those tailed off I mean it was just I felt crushed crushed by it and scared actually in the first lockdown it's weird how you get used to that after a while I think you're absolutely right I really thought that everybody would either die or be ill you know, I thought it was a certainty we would get ill because Rich and I are older than you. Mm. But also, people, Cathy and I are both Portsmouth girls. Yay! Hobby! Hobby! I love that. So, you see, we're fighters, we're chippy. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to start actually talking sensibly, though. I really love the fact when I look at books, I always like to think, A good book is one where you can look at and ask the what if question. And with your books, so for those of you who haven't read them yet, and please do. So I absolutely loved the first. It it blew me away. Um, So that more of me. What if, what if once a year you split into two, leaving the younger version of yourself having to watch the new version take over your life have I got that right do you think that's the yeah yeah so who has not felt grateful to their night before self for having bothered to do the washing up or (laughs) angry with their week before self for not revising for an exam You, you know we don't we don't tend to think about investing in our future self but we quite often berate our past selves I think that's a really common thing and also, though, if you've got older siblings, which I haven't, looking at the things they can do, you are so jealous of. So I love that idea that you're even jealous of your own kind of future self that's come into the present. I mean, what was interesting about writing that um, book was when you're looking at a character who's essentially the same person through the whole of the story, they change because of the experiences they go through that the younger self because their life stops effectively they don't have the same experiences so you could see 15 who is very angry and bitter and cross all the time you could see how they mellow a little bit and become more aware of their own uh, emotional turmoil as they get older and resolve situations in, in a much less conflicting way I found that really interesting because my kids were growing up at the time. And in fact, my, the reason I wrote this book was because my daughter was going to university and I was looking at photographs of her when she was like a toddler and six years old and 13 years old, 
maybe not when she was 14 years old, she was quite naughty. Um, and thinking how brilliant would it be if you could keep like little versions of those people, which of course you can't. And you kind of, in a weird way, mourn the passing of those stages of your child's life. Although obviously you love the person they become and you're, you're delighted with who they are. You still kind of miss the physicality of that smaller human. So that's kind of where that came from. But the magic of writing is you took that idea, but you also made the the reality of having all these past selves. Well, just, they're just a nuisance, really, as well. Aren't they? They're just suddenly you're all these mouths to feed and so on, which we all know now with the horror of homeschooling. I mean, imagine, imagine yeah. if you've had to homeschool all the Teavers. Teavers, poor mother. Her poor mother with everything she's got going on. Yeah, I know. But that's kind of um, metaphorical, too, because it's about the baggage you carry with you through your life. And which parts of that do you keep and carry forward? And which parts of it do you say, well, that's done. I've got to, le- I've got to learn to leave that behind. So it is a deliberate metaphor. So to keep with the what if theme, beauty sleep is also brilliant. So I decided that was what if you were dying and your only hope of a cure is to be frozen. Now, I'm fascinated that in both cases, it's kind of 16. I, I think 16 is a magical age. But anyway, so what if your only hope of a cure is to be frozen? What would happen if you woke up and it's 40 years later? I mean, what a brilliant idea. Well, you know, that's based on a true story. No. So there was a young girl here in the UK a few years ago. She was 15 years old and she was dying. She had terminal cancer. And she went to court with her mother supporting her to be allowed to be cryogenically frozen. She had to get permission from the courts to allow that to happen because she was so desperate to hold on to the chance of life. And for Laura, that feeling is compounded because her brother is also ill, her little brother. So she's got this almost maternal feelings for him, wanting to care for him as well as you know fear for her own life. And then of course it's fun, isn't it? Waking someone up in the future and seeing how they deal with life and making that a pre-tech girl like we were from the 80s and putting her in a post-tech world and you know how is she going to deal with everything that youngsters deal with now and in the near future the things they're going to have to cope with. See I think it's much more interesting to have it in the near future because we can we can grasp what that's going to be like whereas there was you won't remember, you're too young. But there was that programme, Adamant, and he woke up. I think it was Gerald Harper. Tim, you might just about remember Adamant. He's very flashing his eyebrows at me. Um, I want you to know we're on Zoom this week. I should have said that. Anyway, I'll remind you that we're doing it. Um, but anyway, so Adamant woke up and he was a Victorian, but he woke up in like whenever it was, 70s London or something. And it was just fun. It was a comedy. So it didn't really affect you emotionally. It was just a joke, really. Whereas yours, I think, is absolutely such a glimpse of what is possible. And that notion of, you know, waking up and your your mother, well, especially when you wake up, you don't know your mother might be dead. Yeah, well, I think I like I'm writing real. I'm trying to write real people. Um, so I'm really invested in in my characters. So I feel for them. And obviously, it's going to be devastating if you wake up and your family is gone. Um, and she's got a journey to go through, Laura, as well. I mean, it's kind of a sort of coming of age story in a way. And I'm really, you said, I'm, it's always that age. It kind of is for me because I think teenagers, young adults are 
they've got so much potential and they're just beginning to find out the person they want to be. They're not afraid of so much. They're willing to try all kinds of things. Their minds are open to new experiences, new ways of doing things that I think in older people sometimes gets a little bit shut down. And that's the joy for me of writing uh, for young adults and, and putting myself in that mindset. So yeah, and also it it would be flat for me if it didn't have an emotional connection. I wouldn't, I don't think I would enjoy writing it so much. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Susie, when I'm writing scenes that are sad, I am intending to make people cry. If it doesn't make me cry, I know that I've not hit the mark. So when re readers write to me or contact me and say, how could you do that? I was just heartbroken. I'm like, excellent. I have done my job there. Well done, me. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. And I've just been recording the audio book of my first book and I've actually had to stop recording at places. And you know, you know your own work backwards, don't you? But I was still a place like that. Oh, my God, I can't still stand it. Still gets you. Well done, Susie. In your in Beauty Sleep, when it's 40 years on, is it 40 years on from now or is it 40 years ago to now? It's 40-ish years into the future. Right. So I never exactly specify it. And part of the reason for that is because I'm terrible at working out dates. I get so confused. And I thought, I don't want to be tripped up. Someone will be messaging me and saying, no, hang on a minute. You said it was this date. Well, that's 37 and a half years in the future. Right. Um, so it's 40-ish years. So it's like a touchable future. Um, but it was fun anticipating what things might be in the future. And some of them are already happening. No. Indeed. I mean, it just makes me think of a, of a book by Ali Sparks. And if you know it called, um, I think it's called Frozen in Time. Frozen in Time. Absolutely love it. About a group of, a group of children who, and, and they, they come into the present now. And they're like a sort of famous five because they've got the sort of 1950s kind of style of speaking and um, jolly good show. And um, let's have some bottle of fizz, bottle of pop. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's very entertaining. But I, I like the way you've, done, you've gone forwards so that's a very different sort of concept you can still play with that though so in the new book i've just started that's also set in the future so i'm playing with names so the older characters in the book have quite traditional um names that we would all recognize but the the younger generation's names are completely different so you, you can kind of still play um play with the links that sit between um generations even though we don't know what's going to happen in the future I love that. Good question. But now, so a lot of our listeners also are writers or attempting to write and so on. Can I ask you, you are so encouraging of other authors and so on. And when I first met Cathy, it was in a pub in Chichester and I was unpublished. In fact, all of us were unpublished at that point and you were brimming because you had landed your deal for more of me. And <laughs> oh, it was wonderful to see. And I must admit, I hated you a little bit as well, because, you know, when you're, when you're a striving author, you're just thinking, oh, how come? And the first time you've met someone, but you were so honest about your journey, horrible word, but your journey towards publication. So would you share that with us to encourage everybody else? And because you're lovely and not. Yeah, it absolutely. It took me forever. It took me forever to get published. It was 15 years of trying. Um, 50, and it's humiliating, right? You're sending off manuscripts. And, and at first, you think everything you write is magic. So you send it off. And then the rejections come and you're really shocked. Clearly, I can't do this. I need to learn stuff. 
Um, so you reach out to other people, start doing courses, but it just really takes a long time to develop your craft. And then you need luck as well. Um, you know, sometimes it has to land on the right desk at the right time um, and a pushy agent helps. But then, you know, it's tough to get an agent. So um, I, the thing is, I get it. I completely get it. And it's not over for me. I'm, you know, I'm working, I've been working on my third book now for two years. I've just junked the whole novel, Susan. whole novel, because no. it's just not working. Yeah. Are you sure um, it's not working or is this just lockdown? Well, it's, but what it's become, it's become backstory for okay. a new book. Okay. And the reason I know it was the right decision is I had this conversation with my agent. She's been fabulous and really pushing me to be the best I can be on this book because it's a subject matter that is very, very close to my heart. Um, and since then, like two weeks, I have 6,000 words four characters I love. I've nearly got a whole plot. I know it's the right thing to have done, but it's painful. So that feeling like um, I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to do it, it kind of just doesn't go away. If you want to be the best writer you can be, you have to take the criticism, even when it's painful, and be really honest with yourself if something isn't working. And that, you know, that's the writer I want I want to be. So uh, yeah, it's hard. And I understand what it's like. I, I completely agree with you and I think that that's that's the only definition between professional and amateur because we're all writers we all do it if you write you're a writer yeah. because it's difficult if you're not making much money then people say somebody said to me the other day well why would you not call yourself a hobbyist you know if you're not making money it's not about its intent it is about intent but I get that feeling too because I have that all the time I'm like well I'm not earning my keep you know I'm not how can I call myself a professional author if I'm not earning money? So, um... Well, when it comes to support, you're also brilliant at still still being there for the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators. And although I write for adults, as you know, I've stayed part of that because of the huge generosity and love and support. So what what do you get out of it? I know what you put in, but what would you say to people who might wonder whether to join or not? So what I, I got my career out of it, I would not be a published author if I hadn't discovered SDBWI and stuck with it. I and mean, that's a simple fact. That's where I learned my craft. It's where I met the people who supported me on my way. It's not where I met my agent, but I know a lot of people do meet their you know, future industrial professionals that they work with. Um, so I feel like I kind of have a debt. I had plenty of people who helped me. So I'm just giving that back to other people climbing up the ladder. And I've heard so many people say the same thing. Mm. Um, and also this year, which has been really tough to deliver, we've had some fantastic volunteers making incredible programming online. And people have said, I've got so much out of it this year. I, did, I was thinking about, oh, maybe I wouldn't renew my membership. But this year has been just life-saving, really. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm biased, but... Um, it's been amazing for me and, and I want other people to, to have that there. And we're really trying to broaden the inclusivity of SCBWI. That's yeah. our main aim this year is to reach people who may not have access to those resources with, with uh, offering free places to um, people from underrepresented backgrounds all, all across the, the board. So 
I think it's good because we all sign up to that, but it's actually doing it that's so important. I couldn't agree more. So, Kathy, the other thing that you um, do lots of is school visits, and I know you are hugely popular. I will put a photograph of you on the website because I think it's really important that you at home see the sheer wonder <laughs> that Catherine Evans hair it is just gorgeous and i know that you also have good are you in one of your gorgeous frocks as we speak i i i am i dressed oh, up look. for you oh, look. It's, it's a it's it's a blue spotty one today oh with it's great with a gray petticoat of course it is i love it it's wonderful so there is this presence that I think is because of your actor background that must go down a wow in schools. But what I want to ask is, how has that gone this year? Because everybody's homeschooling. Have you been better or worse off? Uh, that's actually been one of the hardest things. And that could literally make me cry because oh. um, I really miss being in schools and connecting with young people. I really miss it. Not, you know, obviously it's my job. So financially, that's difficult. Um, but it's been really hard. I've done a few online things. And actually, that's picking up a bit this year. There will be a few. I'm doing a fest Liverpool festival on Wednesday. But it's bittersweet because I should be there with yeah. Catherine Johnson and Patrice Lawrence, two of my lovely friends. Yeah. And we're all online doing it virtually. But at least the connection is there. But you know what I did, Susie? I joined TikTok. Oh. And <laughs> I know, mad, hey? Um, it, it came out of Candy Gourlay, a mutual friend of ours another fantastic writer wonderful writer out at the moment and she persuaded me to do instagram reels she thought it would be good for me to do something creative while we were all locked at home and uh, that led to tiktok because they're kind of tiny videos and i really loved it and i did a really just a video saying kids you are doing a great job i know you're having a horrible time and it went viral Oh, wow. um, and I spent days, I'm, I'm talking, you know, over 600,000 views, thousands of comments. I was spending days replying to sad young people. Oh. Um, but it was great to reconnect with people. So I've been having a bit of fun on TikTok, which has kind of filled that gap a tiny bit. God, I think I'm 50 years too old for TikTok. I, don't see I think I'm just a massive show off, Susie, uh, who just loves, you know, messing about with media. Kathy, the other reason why I wanted you to be on here, obviously, I think you're local enough and we love having local authors who are also brilliant. Um, but I first came to see you in Petersfield when I was still living in Chichester because you had an event at Petersfield Library. So Tim reckons, don't you, Tim, that you were selling the books that night? I was. Oh, well, it came up, that event came up on my timeline. Um, you know, on my Facebook timeline as a, as a little memory. And it was an absolutely wonderful event. It was it was one of the part of the Lost and Found tour. So we were all, all debuts, five authors, all debuts. It was me, Patrice Lawrence, Olivia Leve, Sue Woolman and Eugene Lambert, all at the beginning of our careers. And it's just been staggering to watch everyone's careers just go boom. You know, particularly Sue Woolman became Zoella Book Club of the Month and Patrice Lawrence has just gone stratospheric, Costa winner. It's just, I'm so proud of them. I just literally could burst. It's and so all well-deserved. Thank you. Totally. So how long ago was that? I think it was 2017. That obviously was a really important thing in Petersfield Library. Did we but know it? There's my co-host of Talking Books, 
Um, but I've known Tim a long time, so when I used to live in East Meon. How long ago did you start One Tree Books, Tim? 26 years. <laughs> so that isn't that terrifying? Long time so that ago. was when you were just 16. Um, <laughs> I must have met him when he started the bookshop. So that's wonderful. Well, it, it goes to show you how important libraries are and booksellers. And we, we say it a lot, and it sometimes sounds a little bit trite, but it's actually, it's so important. And you know, this year, my PLR, which is the money, as you know, that we get paid when our books get borrowed Thank from God. libraries. Yeah. It's, it, it's just accelerated so much. And because people are stuck at home, but then sadly can't get into bookshops, but they aren't going to Amazon, they're going to the library. Yes. So, I, you know, I'm thrilled about that. That's been a really good thing to, to have come out. Yeah. It's in um, fact the only money I've had in this year. Is it? The PLR? Yes. Yes, and ALCS. So for those yeah. of you at home, that's the thing where if they take a chunk out of your book and use it for a school comprehension or something, then you get that money. And it was used for an exam paper in Australia. So with luck, it will carry on being used for a comprehension exercise. I love that. It's like this, this old English teacher comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. And actually, bookshops have been um, really great to me on because... I, I know a lot of independent booksellers. There's um, Rabbit Hole up north. They're wonderful. They're on Instagram. Um, they've got a fantastic shop. They work really closely with authors and schools. And they've, I've done a couple of events with them with their reading groups while we've been locked down. Um, Hailing Island Bookshop. Um, Colin, who runs the Hailing Island Bookshop, called me this morning actually to to organise getting together with a, a school in Portsmouth. So he's yeah, you know they're still working away. It's wonderful and, um, and right yeah. blend, of course, our friend Bob Stone. Yeah, of course, Bob. Liverpool. How could I leave Bob out? He's of absolutely course. fantastic and a great writer. And he as well. was our first guest on Talking Books. In fact, was he? Well, he's he's a wonderful advocate for writers and a great writer. So he is great yeah. guest. That's fab. Well, Cathy, that's been absolutely brilliant. It's been really interesting hearing about about uh, about how things have been going for you in the last three years since we since uh, you came to Peterfield last, oh. and you seem to be having all the all the success in the world. Well done. Thank well you deserved. very much. That is incredibly kind. Thank you so much. It's Thank lovely you, to see your gorgeous face. I know, not half as gorgeous as yours. So, Catherine, thank you so much for being interviewed. And I'm really sorry I forgot to ask you about your Desert Island book. So can I kick off with that now? What? Yes, you can. My Desert Island book. I'm actually really glad that you called me back to do this because it's this book. And this oh. book is called uh, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. And it has got me through lockdown and in fact it's the only book ever in my life that I have read and then immediately gone out and bought 10 more copies to send to people I love and actually I did something which might sound a little bit strange and weird um I bought copies for my children who are now grown up and annotated them and with the intention that instead of leaving them a letter when I die they would have this book um, with all the wisdom that is in it and the kindness that is in it. But I didn't wait until I died. I gave it to them. Um, and whether they think that's weird or not, I don't know. But they've known me for a very long time. So I guess they're just like, yeah, mum, typical. Absolutely typical. I, I think, think that's 
really interesting. Now, I've got to say, I have yet to read it. And the reason I know, I know, I'm really bad when people go on about how brilliant something is. I'm always a bit resistant, but I hated all the smudgy writing. And I know that's completely stupid, but I really didn't like the style of writing. And I decided it was trite. But, you know, that's trite, not tripe. Um, but you know the number of people that that who I completely respect who are saying no just get out there and get it I am going to read you a page honestly you could open this book it's not got a great story but you can open it at any page and there will be great wisdom so I'm literally I've just opened it at this page it says do you have a favorite saying asked the boy yes said the mole what is it if at first you don't succeed have some cake Oh, I see. Does it work? Every time. I mean, what more do you need? What more do you need? Petersfield's Shine Radio. Well, I really enjoyed that interview, Tim. Um, But moving on, we're going to do our what's coming up that we should look out for and so on. But I'll kick off by saying I've just heard that the winner of the Costa Book of the Year 2020 is The Mermaid of Black Conch. So have you read it? I haven't, not yet. No, I'm. I'm. I must must do, but I haven't yet read really it yet. All I know that it's set in the Caribbean, but I'm not sure when. I think it's a contemporary story. I think, oh, but I, I mean, could great. Be Who knows? Well, we must read it anyway. So, what treats have we got in store coming up this year? Well, I'm. I'm just thinking about next month. There's a few books uh, coming out in paperback that uh, are worth worth noting. Some of which we've talked about before, so I won't dwell on those. But um, the new the new Anne Cleves coming out in paperback, um, Darkest Evening. So that's her. Ooh, that must be her ninth um, in the Vera Stanhope series. Oh, good, it's Vera. With, Lovely. Ones with Brenda Brenda Blethyn on on telly. Yeah. Um, set in Northumberland. Um, William Shaw's got his latest uh, Alexander Cupidi uh, book coming out, Gravesend. Sebastian Barry's uh, sequel to Days Without End called A Thousand Moons. Oh, I didn't is, know that was a sequel. Right, um, okay. That's that's well worth reading, actually. Um, Colin McCann's got a new book out in paperback, A Paragon. Graham Swift got one called Here We Are, which is set in Brighton in the... So is that the, the Waterland uh, author? Yeah, that's that's the guy. He's still going strong. He's been been quiet for a little while, but uh, that's that's coming out in paperback. Waterlands a long time ago, actually, isn't it? It must be. Yeah, I think it must be 40 years. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it could be. How long ago was that? Which of those would be your favourite? I mean, we both like Bill Shaw, don't we? So that would be up yeah, there. Yeah, Gravesend I really enjoyed. Um, there's, uh, and I enjoyed Sebastian Barry as well, actually. The, okay, the, let's read uh, Another book just, just I must just mention, which uh, we've talked about before, is Matt Haig's Midnight Library, which is just come, just about to come out in paperback. So, um, yeah, which I think I would, would, would recommend. So there's quite a, quite a bit coming out in paperback. There are a few big books coming out in hardback. As there's uh, Bill Gates has written a book called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, which is kind of optimistic good. and, um, you know, uh, inspiring. So that would be, I'm sure that'll be worth, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure that'll be worth reading when it comes. Mm. Elliot Higgins, who's the, he is the guy that set up Bellingcat, now, uh, I don't know if don't you know, know what, what Bellingcat is. is. Well, Bellingcat is a sort of extraordinary thing. It's, it's, a group of, it's a group of people that got together uh, and they became kind of nerdy detectives. So they used the internet and used clever ways of solving stuff. And they worked out who the, who the Salisbury poisoners were, for example. 
um, and oh. released all that stuff. And they're called uh, called Bellingcat, and they did they've they've you know uh, they've been looking at um, keeping dictators on you know to order and. There's done a certain amount of work in Africa as well, so they're they're quite an interesting organisation. So they're like yeah. a sort of almost like a privatised spy agency, but like just sitting at their desks detective. doing tech. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the book's called We Are Bellingcat, and I think that's going to be quite big when that comes out in, uh, in in next month. So that's one to watch. And that's a hardback. That's a hardback. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, I think that's about it. That's those are the main ones. Just one other one to mention, which is. Um, a Short History of Falling by Joe Hammond is just coming out in paperback. Um, Joe is, was a local Peacefield chap. He, he wrote a book um, about living with and ultimately dying of motor neuron disease. His subtitle is Everything I Observed About Love Whilst Dying. And I think that's a, oh, wow. that's a, it, it really does do that. It's not a, it's not a morbid book. It's not a, it's not a, bu- a book about the terror, terror of, of dying. It's, it's about, about loving really it's a it's a his family and it's a it is a it is a wonderful book oh that definitely i mean richard's mother died of motor neuron disease it is a dreadful dreadful disease um so that would be very interesting to know how somebody copes can you tell me a little bit more about midnight library because it comes so highly recommended it's a book about a girl who is, I suppose, I say girl, she's about 30, and she feels that she's made a bit of a failure of her life. And everything is going wrong. Um, her, her job, her social life, her everything is going wrong in her, in her life. And she decides that that she's better off not, not, not there anymore. Um, and so she takes a big load of pills. And um, when she's in the bit between living and dying, she finds herself in the Midnight Library, where all the choices that she made in the past, all the regrets that she has, she can look at them, and then she can go back into, pick up that book, go back into that life, uh, having not made the decision that she made. So she lives, I won't tell you precisely what happens, but she lives lots of different lives that could have been. And is it well handled? Because that, you know, that can get quite confusing. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's. Um, I think he's uh, he's a real master, actually, Matt Haig. Um, yeah. He's written a number of books. He's written quite a few children's books as well, and um, it's really interesting. And he has truff- he's struggled with his mental health in the mm-hmm. past as well. So I think he speaks from a place of of uh, you know uh, having been there. So yeah. it's it's. Uh, well, Tim, really, that's why really I asked book. you, in fact, because um, I know he's been trolled on Twitter about this. People saying that he's used his mental health, um, his depression, um, as a means. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I can't get behind any of this at all. So I don't really know what their point is. But it seems to me if you can't write from the heart and from life, why why would you bother? It's crazy. No, well, I'm, I also think that uh, I think it's a very valuable book, actually, because it, it looks at how we feel about the decisions that we make uh, and how that affects our lives. And uh, and how we can you know move on from that really I suppose right so now it's my turn after all that so um, so it's backlisted book that I'm I don't think this book needs CPR on it actually I got slightly flippant because as we know um, Richard Osman is going from strength to strength and was the Radio Four Book of the Week fairly recently um, 
So this is a book called Going Gently by David Nobbs. Um, and for those of you who sort of vaguely know the name, it's probably because you're fans of Reggie Perrin, um, which I absolutely love when Leonard Rossiter played it on the television. So... Um, yeah, you have to be of a certain age to remember uh, that, I think, Susie. It's not... Uh... Well, Tim, thank you for pointing that out. I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this is going gently. So, what is it? It's... Um, Kate Thomas was beautiful, intelligent, witty, passionate and sexy. Now, at the ripe old age of 99, she is trapped in a hospital ward with other old women. Her only escape is to play herself the video of her life. Now, that sounds really tedious, but because I trusted that he was a great writer, a great comic writer, which I think is really difficult, I plugged on. And what I absolutely loved is that Kate's journey through the 20th century is also a search for the truth about life and death and which of her three sons murdered her fifth husband. Um, it's absolutely brilliant because you can laugh and cry almost in the same moment about different things. He writes a bit like P.G. Woodhouse in that he'll use really extended similes and so on that are also classical and a bit off the wall sometimes. But, you know, it's no shock that this woman who's a few days off her 100th birthday has also been all these things. She has been witty. She's lived in an artist's commune in Cornwall. She was brought up in a very under-milkwood Welsh village. Um, she adores sex. She dwells while she's dying on some of her best moments with her, I think, third, fourth and seventh husband, Walter. She marries him three times. It's brilliant. But um, have you read it, Tim? I haven't, no. <laughs> well, anyway, I honestly, I couldn't. I think you'll love it. Now, I'm going to read you all two very short excerpts that I think really exemplify what I'm talking about. So he can take a subject that's, you know, tricky, um, but make you laugh first. And then you think, oh, my God, I've just laughed at that. So this is her third husband, I believe, Heinz, who is German. And I'm going to say a bit of German and I've got to say it and you'll see why. But, you know, excuse me now for the pronunciation. Heinz put down his knife and fork and said, Let me tell you why I left the Nord Rhein Mechanistische Metalwerken Spiel Warren Gesellschaft. It was because of the toys that were planned. One of them was a clockwork Nazi, which goose steps across the carpet and salutes. They were attempting to get it to say, Heil Hitler, but they had trouble with the technology. When I left, it was still saying, Shit Heiler. The other is a little Jewish corner shop. It comes with a little window and a little hammer, and the child could smash the window with the hammer. The window is immediately replaced, a new window pops up, and lo and behold, the happy child can smash the window again. Fifth times he can experience this joy and even then the little chap won't need to worry his proud father will buy him refills that is how it is now Kate in the land of my fathers so I you see what I mean I did take something you laugh 
at first and then you think oh that is absolutely desperate and then so still married to Heinz at this moment and her son eldest son Nigel and second son Timothy Nigel came home from school one day in a very serious mood leading a tearful Timothy he got beaten up because you're married to a German he said Maurice Major says he's probably a fifth columnist oh dear said Kate I am sorry Normally beans on toast would be sufficient to dry Timothy's tears, but that day he refused to eat them. They're Heinz, he said, his 11-year-old face twisted with suspicion. They're probably poisoned. That Heinz has nothing to do with our Heinz, said Kate. They aren't German beans. But she gave him boiled eggs instead and made soldiers out of the bread and said he didn't want to eat the soldiers unless they were German soldiers. They are, said Nigel. So Timothy ate them, chopping off their heads quite fiercely. And Nigel, being very grown up at 13, winked at Kate and she felt very uneasy about letting Timothy get away with such hostility to the bread soldiers. Later, Nigel asked Kate if he could have a word in private. Mother, he said, I know I'm only 13, but I think I'm pretty worldly. Do you think Hines could be a fifth columnist? Do you know what a fifth columnist is? Well, not exactly. Maurice Major says that they're infiltrators, whatever that is. Spies, I suppose. When Hines got home, Kate told him what had happened. They sat the boys down and Hines told them all about what was happening in Germany and why he had come to Britain. He said that in the holidays they could tour the works and have a look at all his blueprints and how they were getting ready to convert all Walter's production to weaponry to use against the Germans. You will get ridiculed at school, Kate said. You're just going to have to be strong. Show it doesn't upset you or pretend it doesn't upset you. If they don't see you suffering, the boys will get bored. You mentioned Morris Major. Is there a boy called Morris Minor? Yes, said Timothy. He gets beaten up even more than I do. <laughs> I love it. Very good. You love it. I did, but so honestly, and she does solve it. So this is this, this great life. And actually, by the end, you feel so tearful because you feel that you've kind of lived through, I suppose it's my mother's generation, you feel as if you've lived through to virtually her 100th birthday with her. I love it. I, I wonder if the, uh, the uh, person who read The 100-Year-Old Man, Jonas Jonasson, had read this and, and thought, oh, I don't know, I've, that's an idea for a book. Who um, knows? I think there are so many ideas in this. I'm trying to, I should have said, I should have checked beforehand, but I'm checking now, listeners. Um, I'm just seeing when this was written. Um, so copyright 2000. So he got her up. Virtually, in fact, that is like my mum, because my mum died in 1999 and she so wanted to just reach the millennium. So Kate, also Welsh, dies just before the millennium. There you mm, go. Yeah. I have to say that, that beans on toast always does it for me as well. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right, Tim, that's that's it for this month. That's gone jolly quickly. What what do we got next month? Well, I'm going to have a look at uh, uh, one of the things of, about long books or short books. Which is best? Oh, that's interesting. That's a good idea. And we won't explore then what you already think. But so what what do you reckon about what does that mean? Explain to me what you mean. Well, I, I, I was someone was talking to me about this the other day about uh, a Steinbeck, John Steinbeck quote, which is 
the idea of books as wedges driven into the mind and you know the, the big thick wedge or a big thin wedge and and how it affects you so i, I oh. thought i'd explore that a bit more yeah i like the idea of that right over to you for that then and we'll be speaking to author tim bouquet so what does he have to do with cannonballs no idea good <laughs> <laughs> but we'll find out so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next month Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Produced by John Wellsman. We need to have a plan. Stay at home and make it shine. You got it. Great lockdown <laughs> listening from Petersfield's Shine Radio. It's about staying as local as we can and helping as many people in the community as we can. John <laughs> continues his bromance with John Walker from the Petersfield Post. Yeah. You do look lovely. Thank you very much, John. You're the only person I see every week. Motivation is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Hello, my name is Matthew. I'm from Class 1G at Church's College, and this is a song I spent hours listening to in lockdown. I was walking past College Street and saw the phone box. So I had an idea that I'd start a little bookshop. It's really just come in and help yourself. We've got lovely Lucy with us and Harrison, who's playing with some knobs. The real pleasure is in the bass. Bass Stupendously crunchy. I'm feeling quite patient about the whole thing. Stay at home and make it shine. Slightly intimidated by being told so precisely what to do. Great lockdown listening from Petersfield's Shine Radio. Mm-hmm.